God, I pray that your word would be opened in our hearts and our minds and that you would have us hear exactly what we need to hear today, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, as we've been on this series, Goliath Must Fall, we've been telling the story uh, from several different angles about David and the giant Goliath. And Goliath stands up here representing um, not only his giant size, but the giants in our own lives. And as Pastor Tim said the very first week that we wanted everybody to understand is we all have giants. Some of our giants haven't grown that size yet. They're maybe small and we think we're in control, but uh, they eventually become giants in our life. And so Goliath must fall. And so if you've been following with the series at all, you know we've told the story. And even last week we got to the point after David with his slingshot um, dropped Goliath down. And then he took the sword of Goliath and took off his head and hung up his hung onto his head and carried that around for a while. Like what else is there left to tell of the story? Except maybe that then they lived happily ever after. <laughs> and I tell you, if you've lived more than three minutes on this earth, you know that uh, that makes for a great fairy tale story, but that is not life. Life doesn't end with, and they lived happily ever after, because some of us are still waiting for that happily, ever, happily ever. And when does that come exactly in the story? Because we just seem to go from one battle to the next battle to the next battle and the next battle. And if you find people that have lived long enough, one of the things they will tell you is like, no, you're never done battling. Like happily ever after, that's what heaven is. Like here we have nothing but uh, trouble from trouble to trouble. That's a great way to end a fairy tale, but that is not life. And so what we want to do today is take a look at now the rest of the story of what happened to David and Goliath, which Kevin just read for us a moment ago and want to dig into this just a little bit more and take a look at verse Eight. So they're coming back again, just to give you the context, they rout the Philistines after David takes down Goliath and he's down and everybody scatters and they go after the Philistines and they rout them. And so they're coming back, sharing in the victory and the women now are rejoicing. Evidently, they had time to write a top 10 tune in the day and they had time for everybody to learn it. They're going around singing about David and he's killed his tens of thousands. It's all his thousands and they're all singing. And we find out what happened Saul was very angry you're like well what do you have to be angry about Saul you're the king and you finally got rid of the giant the giant finally fell he must fall and he finally did fall and you're freed from the giant your feet freed from the Philistines that have been after you day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year they're gone and they're done with what do you've got to be angry about the refrain of the song that's what he was angry about. The refrain of this song displeased him greatly. Now, here's where I think some of us can connect with this story. Because Saul wasn't happy with being greater. I mean, not too many people get to go around singing, you've slayed thousands. He wasn't happy being greater. He, he wanted to be the greatest. And he's looking at David. He's like, man, he's taking some of the glory that should belong to me. I want to be the greatest. And some of us live in that world where we're not happy being just who we are. We want to be er. We want to be greater. 
whatever the er is in your life. I want to be er. And some of us aren't even settled with er. We want to be est. We want to be the great est. And so we spend our lives chasing after those things and become like Saul. Jealousy grabbed a hold of his heart. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me, only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. That's not good news for David. You keep a close eye on your enemies. And David knew that. So David knew like he was now not one of Saul's favorites. He was an enemy of the king. And to be an enemy of the king did not put yourself in a very good position. But I love what happens next. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul. That's a whole different sermon and a great Bible study to get into for another day. But to go on, he was prophesying in his house. And while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. I'm not sure why there had to be a twice. I think you get a spur or a spear hurled at you. One time's enough. I don't need to be dodging spears. Dodgeball's hard enough. I don't need to be dodging spears uh, around all the time. And, and twice, like the first one, whoa, whoa. The second one, whoa, I'm out of here. And I imagine the liar, it was just left there and David takes off running. Now I can imagine David somewhere in the back of his mind just thinking, this is not how the story ends. This is not the happily ever after. I mean, I was anointed to be king of Israel. I am the king in waiting and the king is trying to kill me. This is not how the story is supposed to go. This is not happily ever after. Man, I, God just used me to take down this giant. This is not how the story is supposed to go. This is not my happily ever after. Man, they were just singing praises. I was nobody. And then they're singing songs about me. And now the king is trying to kill me. This is not how it's supposed to go. And maybe this is the piece of the story that you can relate to. Something like, this is not my story. This is not the way I wanted my story to go. And I was expecting to be having more financial freedom at this point in my life. I thought I would amass more, but I, I look at everybody else and I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm living with integrity. I'm giving sacrificially to the kingdom of God and to his work. And I deal with people honestly, and it looks like everybody else is getting ahead and, and I'm just left here. This is not my happily ever after. For some people, it's health. This is not the plan I had for my life. Doctor visit after doctor visit and hospital visit after hospital, diagnosis after diagnosis. This is not my happily ever after. This is not the way it's supposed to go. Some of you can relate to the story. Well, the lesson I think here for us today is we shouldn't be surprised and don't be surprised with battles. Because battles will come. And when you finish a battle, guess what's next? Another battle. And then after that one, another battle. We're never done battling. That is just the truth of life, that there is another battle that awaits us. We shouldn't be surprised with battles. And this is why I love Peter, who walked with Jesus. He saw this, and you see it throughout Scripture, that there's just battle after battle. And Peter uses this great analogy. He says, our enemy. That's why we have a battle, because there's still an enemy. And that enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone he can devour. I don't know if you, you like zoos. My daughter loves zoos. And so we go to the zoo uh, often. And one day we're at the Fort Worth Zoo. And I, I love the big animals. And I like getting over there with the lions. 
And we're watching the lions at one point, and it was a warm afternoon, and this lion was uh, lying underneath a tree, this male lion under there, and just sound asleep. I'm like, come on, buddy, get up, do something. Like, we didn't pay you to sit there and watch you sleep. I want to see you get up and devour something and eat something, do do something, roar, anything, you know, kind of thing. And, and my wife taps me on, and she goes, oh, look over there. I'm like, what? And and here's this female lion, and she's walking toward him. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we got some action. So I'm sort of tuned in on, on what's going on. And we said this little female lion come up to the sleeping male lion, takes its paw and boom on the side of the head. <laughs> the male lion sort of like looks at me and the female walks off. I'm like, what is it about a peaceful man resting that is so abominable that you just like somehow I can't let that go on? That's just. But you know, like that's not how they act in the jungle. Um, evidently, that's how they act in the zoo. But in the jungle, um, man, they they go after uh, some animals. But what I love about the way they attack is, is they don't uh, just run after a group. I mean, they're big and strong, and they can take on anything they want to. But they don't just run after a huge herd and take that on. Uh, they'll run after a herd and then they wait, and they'll see the ones that are scraggling behind, or the ones who veer off and go in a different direction from the rest of the herd, and that's the one they go after. I think Peter spent some time looking at lions. And so he says, our enemy, the devil, roars around like a lion, seeking someone he can devour. He's looking for those that are falling behind, those that have gone off on their own. And this is what a German theologian, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, had to say. He said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. And that's always a danger. We shouldn't be surprised at all when temptations come. But we also uh, should never battle alone. <laughs> that we should never go into battle alone because that's exactly what the devil wants. Get us alone on our own and, and that way we're a lot more easy prey than if we are standing together. I love one of the things we do on uh, Sunday morning. Some of you have heard this before. We have a group of men that meet at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. We have four different teams uh, meet. So we ask guys to commit just one Sunday, 7 o'clock, gather in our lobby. Some of the guys are there every single week. And we gather and we talk about what's going on in our, our lives and how we can pray for one another. And, and so we do that. And then we pray over the entire campus, the parking lot, the connection counter, the cafe and the gift shop and then these chairs and the rooms, the tech booth, the nursery, the youth room, all the classrooms, the offices. And then finally, around 730, we gather and we lay hands on whoever is preaching that day and pray over them. And I tell you, I can't imagine preaching without having a group of guys and starting the morning with that because it feels like, man, I've got guys with me going into battle. <laughs> man, it doesn't care what the enemy has to say because, man, I've got some guys who are surrounding me and lifting me up all morning long. So when 8 o'clock rolls around and we start our worship service, man, I'm ready to go. Don't battle alone. I have a good friend of mine that I've known since college. His name is Eric. He's a pastor up in Michigan and... Um, one of the things that we've done um, every single week for a long time now is every Monday uh, we call one another and we confess to one another what's going on in our lives and, and we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we laugh and we tell stupid stories and all that kind of stuff too. It's not serious all the time, but, but we just love each other well enough to be, have some serious conversations. 
And I knew some of our youth were going through the book, uh, Every Young Man's Battle. And several months ago, I, I told Eric, I said, you know what I'd love to do again? It's been a long time since I read that book, Every Man's Battle. It deals with sexual integrity. I said, I would love to read that book. Would you read that with me? And let's just go chapter by chapter and talk about it, what God is speaking to us in our lives. And, and, and he said, man, that would be wonderful. I said, you know, I, I thought at 50, like you'd be done with sexual temptation. But I just find, like, I, I just want to go through this again. And let's hone in on this. And so we're about halfway through the book at, at one point. And I remember calling him up because I'm going through on my iPad, my little um, Apple news feed kind of stuff. For those of you who've read that, it's got all these little stories and stuff like that. And I'm looking through the feed and then I, I notice that there are about, I don't know if it's just springtime or, or whatever causes to happen. Maybe I just never noticed it before. But there were six different articles that all had to do with women in bathing suits. I'm like, I'm not sure that's, oh, here's how they lost weight. Here's how they got bikini weight. Here are the new styles that are coming out this year. All these different things. And I'm like, I... How was that news? And I remember I picked up my phone. I called Eric. I'm like, you know what? I just noticed that we're going through this book. And here, I've never really noticed it. But they're here all the time. It's like a click away on my iPad. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see those all the time, too. I said, man, it is un Like, where is that news? And why is that news? And I said what I heard, and all I could think of was this verse. <laughs> the devil is like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And I could hear is, oh, you're alone. Nobody knows. It's not a big deal. And all I could say, and I talked to Eric about that, I'm like, I know, nothing good. I can click on that. Nothing good is coming from that. Everything, everything is bad is coming from that. I said, man, I just want to talk that through with you. And let's pray about that and talk. And I love that I have somebody in my corner that I can have those kind of conversations with. We all need to do that. We cannot battle alone. Third thing that I think is really important uh, for us to know is, is we can't go and just battle for ourselves. We, it's not just about us and, and my battling and, and me battling with somebody else. It's we got to battle for one another. And that's what God calls us to do, to live in that kind of community where we're living for one another. And I, I love the way God describes this for Paul. Now, for those of you who don't know, Paul, um, he, he started his life persecuting followers of Jesus. And then God got a hold of his heart, transformed him, and he went out. And most of the reason that all of us are here this morning is because of his ministry that he began and what God did through him, put churches all over the Mediterranean rim and uh, went out to preach to the Gentiles, which most of us, I think, fall into that category where we're not Jewish by nature. Um, and so that's the reason we're here. And so God gives him an incredible mission statement and Paul finds himself before King Agrippa and he has this wonderful testimony about what God spoke to him about what his life journey was to be. It's in Acts chapter 26. He says, I, this is God speaking, I will rescue you. That's battle. What do you got to rescue me from, God? No, I'm going to rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. He's getting it from both sides. I mean, he's got battles from his own people, the Jews, and also from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Wait a minute, God, you're sending me into battle? Yes, Paul, I am sending you to do what? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That they may receive the forgiveness of sins God, don't you mean that they could live a better life? No, no, no. That they might receive the forgiveness. You, you mean that they would know the right way to live, right? No. That they may receive the forgiveness of sins. One of the news feeds I did click on uh, was out of Australia. Some of you might have seen that before. Um, 
some political argument uh, about homosexuality and is it a sin or is it not? And I found it very fascinating that politicians are are discussing that and arguing back and forth uh, about that and how dare you condemn people and all this kind of stuff. And what I found interesting is, is they got a whole bunch of politicians talking about that and they didn't ask any theologians. People who study the Bible and study scripture. And, and, and I'd love to go to Australia and, and maybe I'll just hop on with you guys at some point. And next time you go down to Australia, I'll just get in your suitcase and go down and have a conversation with them. Because what I want to say to them is, hey, I, I realize that, that you, um, you think that we're condemning people, but we're all condemned. Like every single one of us stands condemned. Nobody gets off. And I think somehow along the way, we've got the misperception that God grades on a curve. You know, that there's a sliding scale to get into heaven. Like as long as I keep most of the commandments, I'm okay. That he's going to let me in. And so, you know, I'm pretty good about honoring my parents. I haven't done a grade on that, but I'm probably okay. I'm maybe better than 50% there. And I don't think I've killed anybody, so I guess I get a slide on that one. And I haven't coveted my neighbor's house. His is a dump. i got a much better house than his. And so I'm not coveting. So therefore, I, I think I get in, right? I, I'm passing most of those. And with the sliding scale and with that little bump, I think I'm in. And I love what Jesus says. Does any of you hate your brother, your sister? You're guilty of murder. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Murder? Whoa, back off a little. Jesus. All right, I didn't kill anybody. He's still living in Bree. I might not like him. I don't talk to him anymore. But man, I, I really kill? Yes. You've already murdered him in your heart. Any man who's looked at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Wait, I didn't do anything. No, you committed adultery. And I can imagine all of them sitting around Jesus on that sermon that he's preaching and going, well, well, who gets off then, Jesus? Nobody makes it. Exactly. Everybody stands condemned. But what a great approach that would be if instead of pointing the finger at other people, going, man, I, I'm condemned just like you. But I have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And he took away my sin. He took away my shame and my guilt. He, he took away everything that I would ever have done in my life and ever I will do. He's already made the payment for that. I have been set free. Not because I earned it uh, or even that I asked for it. God just gave that to me as a gift just by believing in the name of Jesus. I have been set free. Well, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. I hope you never get tired of hearing that. I hope you never get tired of, of thinking about what Jesus did on the cross. I, I have enough of a guilty conscience just when I mess up. And, and the weight that's on my shoulder and on my head, it just it seems unbearable. I can't imagine trying to carry yours with mine. And put all of yours together and dump that. I can't imagine. And yet Jesus took every one of our mistakes and failures and sinfulness and brokenness. Everyone who's ever lived and piled it on his shoulder and he nailed himself to that cross. So that you would be set free. Wow. Man, what a difference that would make in the lives of people if that was our approach. What a great message. God, you should really work on getting that message out. Maybe another burning bush would be good. God, that would get some people's attention. Or maybe some writing in the sky. 
you know, maybe something that would happen. Just send an email that has God on it and maybe, you know, just shows up in everybody's inbox tomorrow morning that, oh, by the way, Jesus is the only name by which people can be saved. There's only one name given under heaven. And the name is Jesus. And so believe in him. Boy, that would be great. Get in. Everybody gets an inbox from God. And God says, no, I already got a plan. Thank you very much. My plan is to put that message of hope and forgiveness and reconciliation and life and grace and mercy. And I'm going to put that message into jars of clay. Not, not these jars of clay. I'm sorry. There's another jar. Those jars of clay. Just ordinary clay pots. I'm like, Jesus, why would you put something so precious? Nobody's going to pay attention to, to a clay pot. There's nothing valuable about a, a clay pot. How's anybody going to know if you just put that message and put it in me and now I'm the bearer of that news? Well, what they used to do back then is put treasures in clay pots. It's exactly what God has done. I put that message in you. God, why would you do that? That doesn't seem like a really good plan to get that message out. And God says, what better story is there than me coming to somebody who is condemned and setting them free? Taking an ordinary cracked clay pot and doing something extraordinary with it. So when people see you but how do you get through life without, you don't seem to carry the guilt and the weight and the shame. It's right. I make mistakes. I've done a lot of that. But man, I've got a savior who takes all of that away from me. I've been set free. Well, tell me about that. What is that? Well, that, it's Jesus. And when people see the, the treasure that's in you, an ordinary clay pot like they are, and they see that treasure, that is attractive. And frankly, that's the reason I think that God gives us battles in our life. Because who gets the glory in happily ever after? Nobody's impressed with happily ever after stories. Wow, they lived happily ever after. That must have been tough. But God gets the glory in battles. When he sees God do some extraordinary things through clay pots. Wow, how could that be? David gave glory to God for killing the lion and the bear and Goliath. God gets the glory for that. God gets the glory for your battles too. As long as we tell people. But somehow we, we've made a mistake of, of trying to hide all of those things. And, and we've lived our lives with, with sort of a pretense that says we've got it all under control. We've got everything managed well. We, there's nothing wrong with our lives. And we give that perception that we've got it all together. As I mentioned at the very beginning, that's why I love where Tim said we're all all of us have giants in our lives. And the best way we can give glory and honor to God is saying, here's, here's where my life has been messed up. And here's how God came and redeemed that. And he wants to do the same for you.